So, hello, hello. Hello. Yeah, yes, here I am again. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick up a little bit of some of what I talked about last time I was here, which was indwelling spirit and radiating presence and subtle activism. Because I think actually the subtle activism theme actually flows through everything we're doing. So one of the things I want to emphasize today is our participation in collective consciousness, that we are part of the one thing that is the whole planet. And Carl Jung talked about the collective unconscious. People have talked in all kinds of ways about the fact that we're part of something more than our everyday individual self. Um, I'm thinking of it in a slightly broader way, <clears throat> that we're actually part of not only a human collective that has in it all the wisdom of our species over all time, but that we also, we also have access to the consciousness of many, many other life forms. And it's not so weird these days for people to talk to animals and talk to plants. All right. It's not such an odd thing as it used to be. Um, so one of two different pieces I wanted to bring in today. First of all, one of the early teachings of my grandmother that I think I forgot to mention last time, <clears throat> but I've probably talked about it at some point along the way, is the idea of the rain cloud of knowable things. And when I was very young, she said, this rain cloud of knowable things is raining down on everybody all the time. And for that reason, you see ideas pop up in different places kind of all at once. And I remember back in the early to mid-80s, I had started to work with inner child parts in my workshops that were hypnotically based. And lo and behold, there comes John Bradshaw <coughs> with his... Um, inner child stuff, and then a man named Dick Schwartz who created an entire approach called Internal Family Systems that is all about working with parts, and often these young parts. It was very clear to me really quickly that that was raining down at that time as an awareness that was catching different people's attention. Now, the gift that this has given me, because my grandmother taught me so much about collective consciousness, the gift I've had is that I know that nobody owns anything. <laughs> there is nobody whose idea it is. There are people through whom an idea comes. And it can be very relaxing when you're aware that things can work that way. You open up and this great idea comes. Does anybody remember the name of the man who isn't Einstein, who also created the same theory at the same time? I don't think any of us remember his name because it stuck with Einstein. But Einstein wasn't the only one who was having those kinds of ponderings early on. So. That takes me to the next piece that actually has more to do with subtle activism and is really an important piece, but it's the one that's a little more fringy. There's a man named Stephen Buhner who has written a book on plant intelligence, but what it really is, it's on the imaginal realm and how we 
move through reality being more or less willing to receive impressions from the imaginal realm. When I say imaginal, I don't mean imaginary. It's the imaginal transfer of information that comes via images, or you might just suddenly hear something in your head, or something comes fully formed. Uh, when my grandmother was teaching me about intuition, she said two things. She said, first of all, intuition happens all over your body all at once. Like, a moment ago, you didn't know something, and now you just know it, and you wonder how you ever didn't know that. That's the arrival of an intuitive awareness. And she said, if, if you want to figure out where your intuition is really something or when it's your own stuff, just keep writing down what comes, and then go back later and check and see what had validity and what didn't. So that's, that's one piece. But Stephen Buhner writes about the process in the brain called gating, and that our brains naturally build gates across perceptions that aren't relevant to our culture. And Western culture is not very excited about the idea of the imaginal realm and information coming from non-rational sources. I call the state of mind when working in the imaginal realm non-rational instead of irrational, because irrational makes it sound like it's off base, but it is non-rational. It's non-linear. It doesn't move in any kind of straight line. And it requires something of us that the culture doesn't value. It requires not knowing and just receiving, not figuring out, not following a trail like a little linear, there's a crumb and there's a crumb and there's a crumb. It allows the arriving of awareness. So I want to tell you a couple of examples that will speak to a little about the reality I live in. Um, I was walking through Central Park one morning. I, my commute to work is through Central Park. Thank goodness. It saves my life every day. And I've gotten to know a number of trees along the way. <clears throat> and they've become sort of tree friends in my mind. But one morning, I had, been, I had been working with a particular class I was in. So I was a little more aware. Moving to New York really did a number on my multidimensional awareness, and I'm slowly trying to get it back the way I used to have it. But this class had me orienting to, ooh, there's so much more going on here than I'm aware of at any given moment. So I'm trucking along to work, and this tree yelled at me, come back here, I want a hug. And I thought, oh, Nancy, you are such a lunatic. You know, just keep going to work. Just keep walking. At which point the tree yelled it again. And I thought, Nancy, you're in this class to open this up again. Don't ignore this. So I went back, hugged the tree. And now it's a tree I hug every morning when I'm on my way to the office. But then one day I was at home and, and living with three cats is sometimes a little distracting. So I, I can sort of forget my, yeah, I can sometimes forget my little list of chores. So I had done everything I thought on a Sunday night. But one of my Sunday chores is watering the plants, the few that remain that uh, are doing well, which is amazing. Um, so I'm just walking around and I walked by one of the plants in my bedroom 
And I just said to it, oh, you're just so beautiful. And I went and did something. And I walked back, and this plant says to me, you forgot to water me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that plant is absolutely right. It was nowhere in my mind to do the watering. So I have, I have made myself begin to not question, because I have a very strong doubter. And I have forced myself to meet my doubt with an I don't know rather than you're crazy, right? Uh, way back in California, when I was much more attuned to these other ways of knowing things, I had a sweet little cat, and all of a sudden she developed these horrible allergies. It was really unpleasant. She was sneezing all over the place and dripping, and it was really, like, not good. And I just one day said to whatever handles cats, I said, I'd sure love to know what I can do to help this cat because she's really miserable. And walking across the living room, the, again, this is how it happened. Something plopped in there saying, uh, it's the new floor pillow someone gave you for Christmas. <clears throat> it was a big, huge floor pillow that was really nice to have. But I thought, all right, I, I knew to listen. I got rid of the floor pillow, and her allergy cleared up. So, so I think what, what happens to us is because the culture calls this irrational and laughs when we do things like this, we forget that indigenous cultures all around the world have gotten their healing wisdom and their wisdom from how to do their lives in nature from nature, not from a book, not from another person. If they've gotten it from a shaman, it's because the shaman has gone off into the imaginal realm to bring back information. So I just want to ask you to notice what would need to change, if anything, some of you may do this already, a lot more people now are listening but what would need to change either in your belief system or in your way of thinking about your intuitive abilities that, that would stop you from receiving information? And the reason I kind of underscore this more these days is subtle activism unfolds in the imaginal realm. It's an energy reality. So when we think about doing subtle activism, we might think of praying, we might think of sending healing, healing energy. That's not happening in our three-dimensional physical realm. It's happening in the realm of energies and connections we have that are so much more than our everyday physical life. So think about if you're a person who does engage in prayer, how is it when you are aware, which I'm sure you are at least most of the time, that you are actually doing something, you are sending something or asking for something that is creating an impact? I think the research on prayer, I haven't looked at recent research, but the research I was aware of was that it, it's fairly robust in its effects, prayer on people when they're doing the kinds of studies that research, you know, that science will at least honor as a possibility. 
And so this kind of takes me back to the subject we were on last time about the radiating presence of our indwelling spirit and the awareness that it matters how we move through the world. The frequencies and qualities that we express, maybe not overtly, maybe just carry in our own minds and our own thoughts, this matters. It's going out into the collective and becoming part of what we all swim around in. Now, I think we would all agree that our collective consciousness at the moment is pretty ramped up all around the planet. And those of you who might be therapists, as I am, see it with the people coming into your office, that people are much more highly activated or harder to settle. It's more difficult to come into a rhythmic, kind of relaxed way of being. And we can make a difference in that. We can, by being willing to choose to radiate either loving or calming or positive qualities of whatever kind. For example, we're all in this room together, and my Western-trained mind sees a bunch of bodies sitting in a room, each having an individual experience. My spiritually trained mind sees us as one large energy organism, all of us being affected by everybody else. Without exception, we can't not be. It's the air we're breathing, it's the quality we're sitting and moving in. And one of the practices I wanted to share with you, it comes from a man I mentioned last time, I believe. His name's David Spangler, and he has an organization called Lorian, L-O-R-I-A-N, where he teaches an approach called incarnational spirituality, which is really about how do we move through the world embodied and aware of our larger context. And he tends to agree with what so many other spiritual teachers offer, which is the the living essence of love is an actual healing frequency. It's not just an idea, it's not just something we've constructed, that it's a real force. So one of the exercises, and I will apologize to him because I'm going to give this my version of what he does, um, has to do with taking time to align yourself with the energy of universal love. Now, given the background I have, I attune to the embodying spirit of love. But you don't have to have it be that specific. You can just attune to love as it exists as a universal presence. And then David invites you to fill up your whole body-mind being with this love. The nice thing about universal love is it won't run out. There's always enough. So you're filling up your body and your psyche with this love that becomes so full that then it starts to spill over and radiate out into the environment. That you carry this radiating flow of love wherever you go. And 
He adds another exercise I don't remember the name of where you imagine that that love then fills your hands and everything you touch gets an infusion of love. Now, one of the things I can say about this kind of practice, whether or not this stuff is actual doesn't bother me anymore because when you walk through the world feeling connected in this way, when you know that your presence is having an effect, no matter what, if you're in a grumpy mood, that's having an effect too, which we all have, because we can't avoid it. But when you're walking through the world filled up, let's say, with love, you could fill up with anything that you want to transmit. In a very deep psychological way, you feel no longer alone. When we know we are all connected as one collective, and I'm not just talking about humanity, we have kin everywhere. We are all kin. Anything that this planet supports as life is our kin. So if you really have a deep sense of the kinship you have with everything you encounter, and if you can hold the awareness that any place you are you are part of. You're not a separate entity entering something. You're, you're like, it's more for me like swimming through the ocean where you are in the water. You're totally immersed in that environment. So when we move through our lives radiating gifts to the environment, we're constantly engaged in relationships. And one of the things I like about David's particular brand of sort of a more metaphysical approach is that it is always reciprocal. It's not we the humans turning to something that will only be giving this way. We're giving in a true reciprocity of those of us in physical incarnation are offering our embodied enlivened experience of these energies back to the collective. So for me, I'm never alone. I don't ever feel cut off because everywhere is right here. And there's no way to be separate. What we can do that makes a difference, and to me this becomes a life practice that requires a lot of just mindful awareness the frequency with which we resonate connects us to that same frequency. So if you're walking around with a lot of unresolved anger or fear or sadness, not that we don't have those feelings, but if you're locked into that, that's where you're resonating and that's where the collective resonates with you. We get highly magnified based on where we're resonating. That's why gatherings like this, we're all resonating at frequencies that are nourishing and, and fill up the heart space. I said this last time, and I deeply believe this. I think it is so crucial to cultivate heart perception and intelligence. Our heart brain connects us to our world in a different way. 
the, the head brain is lovely. It's awfully good for grocery lists and whatever things we need to do. But for connection and relationship, the heart brain sees and interprets things differently. It automatically draws us into relationship and connection. So let me just, how are we doing on time? Fine. Am I okay? So I'm, I'm actually thinking I've probably downloaded most of what I wanted to tell you, and then of course I'll look at my notes later and go, darn, I forgot that. But I guess the key thing I want to offer, in fact, let me ask you right now to just drop into an awareness of your heart space. It, what do they call it that the biggest journey we have is the, are those 18 inches down to the heart space? Just notice for a moment, breathing in and out of your heart a few times just to establish the placement of your awareness. And just notice as you go into your heart space, what's the quality of awareness you touch into? So just starting there with the heart space. And then, if it feels all right, allow yourself to start to fill up with universal love. The heart is very resonant with love, with that frequency. So just imagine this universal source is flowing down into your body. You could also imagine it flowing into your energy field that's around you, if that makes sense to you, into your psyche, that you are filling up with love energy, which is the resonating quality in the heart. And then become so full that the love starts to spill over and flow out through your energy field that's around you and out into the room, just experiencing that flow. And then imagine going through the rest of today, continuing to fill up and overflow that universal love energy into your world. It goes into the world without your having to tell it what to do. It has its own job to do when it touches people. Just sense how that feels and notice if this might be an interesting practice to spend two or three minutes in the morning before you go out into the world filled up with this love energy that radiates from you into your world. And you, now let's add one more piece. Notice what would it be like if as you're filled with love and you're flowing out that energy into the world, what would it be like if you remembered to bless what you encounter along the way. Some teachers say that when we offer a blessing, let's say we bless a tree, 
or we bless an animal, or even if we bless a computer, we're adding a frequency to that being, that presence, that enhances its resonating tone. Just offering blessings, not asking them what to do, but just the free offering of blessings. They tend to come from the heart. So just noticing how it would be to move through a day like that, or at least to start out the beginning of the morning, or whenever you start your day, to do it that way. With that resonating tone of entering the world, radiating love and blessings, without having to work at it at all, just setting it in place as a tone for the day. Just feeling into that quality. And just one more thing, when I was in a metaphysical school, they had us remember something four times a day, like I'm spirit in form or whatever it was. So what if in the morning, at noon, in the evening, and at bedtime, you just remembered, I am a channel for love, or I am a vehicle through which loving blessings can flow. Just whatever would make sense to you as your intention to resonate with this universal healing force that we collectively need now, pretty desperately. When I do my subtle activism work uh, in a group, we are always holding healing the heart of humanity as part of what we're blessing. So thank you very much. Lovely to see you again.